Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Phil Estate, the Philadelphia Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, David Spears, and this week we are exploring a totally different side of the Philly market than what we usually discuss on this show, corporate office space. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why should I care about office space? But as you'll hear in today's conversation, the introduction of major projects like the new Comcast Tower, FMC Tower, and over 8 million square feet of new office space is having a massive impact on Philly real estate. Today, we are fortunate enough to have Ed O'Brien, CEO of First Base, whose job it is is to help startups and growing companies negotiate the treacherous waters of office leasing in Philadelphia. Now is the right time to start learning about the history of office space in Philly and its immediate impact on housing in the city. So stay tuned and we'll be jumping right in with Ed O'Brien. Phil Estate, the Philadelphia Real Estate Podcast is brought to you by Magnum Opus Federal Corporation, Magnum Opus mortgage brokers are top-tier mortgage experts who look at your entire financial picture and pair your unique situation with a customized mortgage solution. When you need the most competitive rates with uncompromising customer service, look to Magnum Opus Federal Corporation. Ed O'Brien is the CEO of First Base and Chief Real Estate Officer at Benjamin's Desk Coworking Space, where his team provides solutions and guidance for startups, entrepreneurs, and mobile corporate employees. Ed has 35 years of experience in the commercial real estate sector, having served as a senior executive with Julian J. Studley, the Stahlback Company, and as the senior managing director of corporate services group for Keller Williams Commercial Real Estate. Ed, welcome to Phil Estate. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good to have you here and um, super interested in your perspective on a different side of real estate, being with commercial leasing, office space here in Philadelphia. I know the residential side really well, and that's where I do most of my business, but I know that they're intricately you know, integrated in terms of their influence on each other. And for our audience, I would really love for you to just be able to maybe start off a little bit of your background and specifically when it comes how it pr- relates to Philadelphia and the history of what office space is doing in the city and in terms of pricing and current trends in the direction you see Philadelphia going, especially in the center city core. But maybe tell us a little bit about where's Philly coming from? What's the history of real estate in center city? That's a that's a good point, Dave, and and the uh, <clears throat> symbiotic relationship between commercial real estate and residential has probably been uh, more in Philadelphia than any city that I've seen in the last thirty years. Um, so I want to fast. I want to I want to go backwards to the nineteen eighties, mid nineteen eighties, when the development of the Market Street West area began happening for the skyscrapers, the over over the Billy Penn cap genre of buildings. We're talking about like Liberty One. Liberty One, what we called the Mellon Bank Center, uh, uh, and then a number of the other modern buildings that were being built, including the Bell Atlantic Tower, which is now known as Three Logan. Uh, but we had two Logan, one Logan. We had a modern class of office building that was finally being built in Philadelphia after, oh, probably a good 20 years of not having any significant commercial construction. So what, what spurred that in the 1980s? Well, it was just uh, a general growth and demand in, in the region, the, uh, particularly the law firms and the banks. We, we had a strong regional economy with regional businesses that wanted to have corporate headquarters space in, a, in an urban CBD environment. Um, and so they, they, they all wanted to be in the new fancy building in town, and they all tended to help spur and start uh, the development of sp- particular uh, skyscrapers in town. So uh, groups like uh, uh, White and Williams were part of uh, uh, One Liberty's development. Um, <clears throat> Schneider Harrison were part of the uh, Mellon Bank, and obviously Mellon Bank's was part of the Mellon Bank Center, and then Bell Atlantic, obviously, for their Bell Atlantic Tower, they really kind of pushed the, uh, uh, you know, pushed the envelope in terms of getting more buildings built. Um, the basic problem we ran into at that time was we all of a sudden were bringing on 5 million square feet of Class A trophy inventory, 
And for the most part, we were only absorbing about four to 500,000 square feet a year. Wow. Now, we were having higher leasing activity, which kind of masked the, the you know, uh, the, the lower absorption rates. <clears throat> but what ended up happening is we didn't have enough people to actually fill all of those buildings. Rates started coming down. Brokers started moving tenants from B and C class buildings into the A class buildings at virtually the same rate. And what's the, can you explain real quick for a residential guy like myself, what's the difference between A, B, and C class real estate or office space? Well, ostensibly it deals with the quality of the building, but in reality the benchmark is what, how much you can, how much rent can you get for that particular square foot. Okay. So back at that time, the A-class buildings, when they were coming out of the ground, were getting $34, $35, $36 a square foot plus electric for the A-class trophy space being developed. At least the first tenants were paying that. The last tenants in that wave that were filling those buildings four to five years later were paying $20, $21, $22 a square foot for the wow. same space. So they were, were they weren't, they were losing money on those deals? Ostensibly, they were. Uh, most of the investors in the buildings were insurance companies, uh, so they would tend to put it in a portfolio that, you know, it. they would say they weren't losing money, but they certainly weren't meeting the return characteristic they originally budgeted for. Wow. And then, so what happened from there? So 1980s, you saw a, a boom of development in Center City, and then it kind of tapered off? Then in the, in the, in the 1990s, what we, what we saw was uh, a lot of vacancy in the B and C class space. So the space that you see over on Walnut Street between 15th and 17th Street, space that's above traditional retail and things like that, all of a sudden you couldn't give that space away. Wow. It was, you know, uh, because I, if I could move you into a brand new A-class building, at $21 a foot, why would you want to go into uh, a C-class building for $21 a foot? Right. So, so you know, smaller law firms, engineering firms, are, you know, marketing groups, you know, they so took advantage of that. Essentially supply outstretched demand. But, you know, in to the point that you started out with, this is where the relationship with the residential market really not only really helped the city of Philadelphia and helped the commercial market in the long run, but it really created a thriving downtown residential market. And so what we began to see was a conversion of the C-class buildings, groups like the Packard building, the uh, uh, a host of different buildings off of Locust Street, Walnut Street, Chestnut Street, not modern office buildings, but being converted into hotels, the Lafayette building uh, uh, on, on 5th Street uh, it's been, was turned into a Monaco hotel. The uh, architect's building was turned into another Kempton property. Um, so the combination between uh, uh, hotel space and then just conversion into apartment complexes or condominiums uh, really took hold and really began a, a transition over about 20 years where Philadelphia became a more dynamic live-work-play environment, mainly because these affordable residential conversions were you know, occurring right in, in the midst of our CBD or very close there, too. Wow, interesting. So... You were saying like in the 1980s, A-class start off at like $36 a square foot, and then we saw in the 90s this conversion to live, work, play, condos, hotels. Did we, we didn't see a lot of building after that then. Did we have new office space for a little stretch? No, we didn't. There were a few boutique buildings built where the AAA building was up on uh, 21st and Market Street. Um, some governmentally driven buildings got, got created. Some conversions uh, continued there. 801 Market Street, the Wanamaker building got turned into essentially governmental office buildings, federal government specifically. Uh, but no, we didn't see any modern, uh, any new buildings being built uh, and and rightfully so because even though we were we were seeing when in in 1985 the A and B class inventory not including the C class which was maybe about 7 or 8 million square feet the A and B class inventory was 50 million square feet in center city philadelphia um, by 
19 by 2000 that had reduced to about 35 million square feet wow so it had reduced by more than a third and why do you think that is i mean why were why was philadelphia unable to keep attracting businesses to come into center city when we had you were seeing during that same time correct me if i'm wrong king of prussia and the near suburbs start to see a lot of office space come online I think it was the back end of the suburban sprawl and in some ways that a lot of companies, SEI, Vanguard, et cetera, decided to have their corporate headquarters outside of the city. Uh, Arco kind of moved in and out. Lincoln Financial decided to be outside of the city. Um, probably, though, the biggest effect was the fact that we lost businesses from our CBD. Companies like... Uh, um, oh, um, Reliance Insurance down at Three Parkway. I mean, they were a major employer in Philadelphia that went belly up. Mm. Um, and then the banks that we had here, which and we had a very strong banking community, they be, began to be acquired by other banks. So, uh, you know, Waco, Waco, I think it was Wachovia be, bought Core States. Uh, uh, First Union bought Wachovia. Wells Fargo bought First Union. Um, every time that happened and occurred, we would see a, a cutting of staff and a diminishment of the amount of required space in Center City. And these were all firms that were, you know, uh, severely uh, you know, where they were based in Center City. Is this was this happening across the country in all cities, or is this unique to? No, this is pretty unique to Philadelphia. You know, Baltimore saw a little bit of the same thing, but they didn't quite have the same base that we did. Uh, Conrail. Is, is another example. IBM used to have half a million square feet in downtown Philadelphia. You know, they went down to 20 or 30,000 square feet. I mean, uh, so we saw a lot of, uh, uh, we saw a diminishment in demand just because of the downsizing and corporate acquisitions. Ergo, then the law firms were not growing the way they they had originally planned. So a lot of these buildings had options in them for law firm expansion that just never occurred. So we saw, you know, a, a broad scale diminishment in the in the amount of A and B class space. But like I said, it would it was basically for ended up that space being converted into uh, uh, res, some form of residential space, which kept and maintained the kind of retail base downtown. People spent money. Restaurants still thrived, um, you know, and uh, uh, and for the most part, it's allowed kind of a transition. And and now, in the, in the last 10 years, we've seen a kind of a repositioning again and with buildings like the Sierra Center and the FMC Tower, some conversion of some additional Comcast buildings, tower. the Comcast Tower, which is huge. Um, although you know, owned by Comcast, we don't necessarily put that in our statistics. Right. But we we try to show that for 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 some growth because that's owned and occupied by Comcast, correct? Correct. Yeah, it was originally developed by Liberty Property Trust, and then. Basically, uh, Comcast ended up buying out the Liberty interest. So what uh, was the reaction when we saw these trends, these downward trends of less and less office space companies leaving Center City? Was there a reaction from the government to try and reverse that and bring people back? What, what, was, the, what was the legislative reaction to well, that? Well, there was, and, and probably the most significant piece of legislation was, the, was originally called the Keystone Opportunity Zone, a KOZ. Now, I believe it's called Keystone Opportunity and Industrial Zone, um, <clears throat> which basically gave a significant tax abatement, starting with the state income tax, but also real estate taxes, UNO taxes, uh, a general reduction of taxation for these companies to make a commitment to Philadelphia or and the KOZ zone they're being developed in, and basically, you know, with an obligation that those companies will increase their employment and increase the number of jobs that they would have in the city. And I, I can't tell you the specific targets that each company has, but the government would lay that out as part of the. Uh, uh, financial negotiation. That and when did that take place? Like the early 2000s they came in? I'm going to say early 2000s. Zero was the first significant KOZ zone. KOZ CBD 
zone. Now, obviously, the Navy base is in that same environment. <clears throat> FMC is in that environment. And then there's been a number of discrete locations throughout the city, some of which have not had much impact on the, uh, on the office market, but are available for industrial development as well as uh, office development. So obviously, the goal is, is to bring jobs into Philadelphia, because if there's jobs here, people are going to want to live nearby, and you have a healthy, thriving city. Correct. And right now, it seems like a lot of folks living in Center City also work outside the city, kind of the reverse commute thing. When did things start to shift? Because it feels like things shifted at some point or are shifting now, uh, where all of a sudden now people are bringing more and more offices to Philly. Like, for example, I know um, off the top of my head, Linode just bought a place right here on, on Nerd Street uh, in Old City. They're moving uh, a bunch of people here. There's other companies that are moving, not necessarily headquarters per se, but are putting like satellite offices in Center City. When did we start to see that start to happen, and what was the causation there? Well, I think the causation is 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 kind of tying into affordability of residential real estate. I think that would be my my first thing to point to is that Philadelphia, for many years, at least the last ten years, has been a pretty affordable place to live for an urban environment. Um, you have a lot of you know, millennial uh, uh, people entering the, the workforce. Um, and they're coming out of going to colleges in cities like Boston and Washington, D.C. and New York City. And, you know, they, they, they don't want to go live out into the suburbs and live in a garden-style apartment and, you know, uh, have to drive a car and commute in on a train each day. They want to uh, be in an affordable place. They want to ride their bike. They want to uh, uh, they want to have the urban lifestyle, and uh, you know I think that has been really the the the, the prime driver. Uh, the question will be when the millennial generation starts having kids, do they decide to remain in the city, or do yep. they do they decide that uh, you know the, the the suburban life is uh, and that, that comes back to schools is what and, it comes down to, and that's what it comes down to eventually <laughs> is is schools and government. So how come cities like uh, New York? It just comes to mind, and that's my perception, maybe not the reality. How come they're able to keep people there at that inflection point when they're starting to have kids? And maybe they don't. Maybe people move out of New York at that point, too. But what's the? how do you keep people here what, from, like, I guess jobs is a huge part of that, too, right? Well, I think jobs is, is, is a big part of it. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the, the level of pay that you can expect to, to have. I mean, in New York, I think people have, have made that adjustment. Um, although, you know, New York is having a bit of a problem of losing millennials because it's become too expensive. Um, Moving to a, Philly. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a firm in, in Brooklyn called MoveToPhilly.com, and they do nothing but move people from Brooklyn and Queens to Philadelphia. And that's a full-time job. This guy makes a lot of money. Yeah, I was looking at the um, census reports, and it showed that in like 2014, there was 29,000 people that moved from New York City to Philadelphia. That's almost 30,000 people moving there to here because of just the affordability of the lifestyle here. And a lot of them are still working in New York. Yes, and living like kings down here on a on a Manhattan paycheck. Yeah, they're 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 living better down here. They were they were used to making the commute, which is on train or bolt bus or you know some convenient form of transportation, and uh, um, and you know and that's a driver. And same thing, Washington D.C. I mean, now you know you can't work for the government and, and be commuting every day to, to D.C. But there's a lot of students and a lot of people that you know looking to be entrepreneurs, looking to be lawyers or what have you, are, are coming up into the Philly market and. I think for the first time, you know, in the 30 plus years that I've been involved with real estate in Center City, are we seeing more and more, uh, 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 what should I call them, uh, uh, immigrants to Philadelphia from from different cities? And, uh, you know, again, it's uh, it's being highly driven by the affordable cost of real estate, cost of living. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of it's being driven by the the growth in the colleges and universities in our yeah I was just reading area. a report yesterday that showed that Temple has a fifteen percent increase in the number of applicants which 
is feeding into the city in some form. Yeah, if, but the media was saying it's because of their football team. <laughs> I, I tend to think it's not due to their football team, but due to the cost of tuition at private institutions. Yeah, I think that has just, a lot to just, do with it. Just figuring. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and they're doing a great job. They're adding new programs there all the time, and they're really revamping that campus in a really great way. But you can see that on what's happening in University City, too. I mean, Drexel and Penn are building out infrastructure like crazy as well. And Rowan and, and Rutgers in uh, in Camden yeah. is is showing tremendous expansion of, of that's of, a great that. that brings up a great point. This is a little sidetrack, but what what's the impact of Camden on Philadelphia? It's seen, it, are we going to see Camden come out now that we're seeing prices and cost of like in Philadelphia generally and housing going up? Um, do we see Camden coming on board? I mean, do we see Camden ramping up as well, or is that generations away from happening um that's a big question but yeah i mean i've i've been through at least five iterations of camptons coming back yeah and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet so that being said i will say there are terrific leaders in camden now uh i hate to say it but i think maybe it's bottomed out and you know, the 76ers going there with their headquarters and practice facility. Um, there's a number of firms that are choosing to build their corporate headquarters, including Subaru, um, down on the waterfront. Um, They've got a couple the, towers going in there, residential They have, towers. yeah. They removed the prison from the one side of the town so that they're, you know, the, that, that the area that they have is more secure in, in the long run. And... Uh, uh, and there is affordable housing, although I will say that, you know, there's been a lot of housing that has been demolished in, yeah. in Camden. Um, and, you know, I think that I think that there is a strong opportunity for uh, affordable housing for people that want to want to be there. Unfortunately, they never built the tramway. Yeah. Between Old City and uh, and the, and and the Camden, waterfront, and waterfront in Camden. Yeah. Which would have been great, but <clears throat> I know I have several friends that live over in Camden and work in Philadelphia and bike over the bridge every day. Yep. And yeah. they love it. There's, all, there's a lot of people. That bridge gets really busy in the morning when it, you're coming back. When it you does. Over there. Yeah. I used to run across that bridge. Unfortunately, there's a little bit too much CO2 coming from the traffic yeah, jam underneath little, you. Yeah, a little tough. It's a little hard to breathe, but it's a beautiful run if you get across there. Uh, um, yeah, I'm always interested in Camden because I'm, I'm curious to see when that comes on board and if that starts contributing to the larger kind of uh the, the the narrative of philadelphia as well and like that the spillover that we're seeing in philadelphia could it maybe impact camden is hopefully what happens yeah i mean it should um sort of like i'm thinking like what newark and is to new york city and right across the river there like you know they're definitely impacted by what goes on in Manhattan. You know, it, it's funny is that it, it, it does take some generations to get it done, too. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. <clears throat> but you look at the improvements of areas like you know, Hoboken, Bay, Bayonne, Jersey City, Newark itself, uh, Newark itself. Um, and, it you know, Camden should be in line to receive some of the, uh, the the opportunity that Philadelphia will generate. Um, again, it's a, it is a matter of the body politic, and New Jersey is a very heavily taxed state, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't naturally drive a lot of people coming over to... Yeah, uh, uh, interesting. Well, coming back to Philadelphia, and we, we, we kind of touched on a little bit of the history of office and office leasing space here in and in the 80s and 90s, we saw that conversion over to residential. 2000s, we started to see some KOZ, the KOZ zones really have an impact here. Um, Comcast Center being built. You got the Sierra Center. You've got now you've got FMC Tower, which is an amazing story to see. I mean, that's a success story so far, is it not? Yeah, I mean, on the commercial side, it's been extremely successful. Um, FMC Tower being the, the new tower that they're building right on the west bank of the Schuylkill River. Um, right, like what, like two blocks south of 30th Street Station? Yeah, right at, right, right at uh, 30th and Walnut. And how many stories is that? That's, uh, it's going to be... It's tall. With, with the residential component, it's going to be 40-plus stories, I believe. The office component's about 590,000 square feet. Okay. And 
best of my knowledge is that they they're about 70 percent leased at this point in time wow and you know they're you know they're still building out the top of the tower the tower has not been not been topped out yet so um you know and they're charging the highest rents you know in the history of the city so wow. some of that driven by the koz but you know others because of the amenity base the sierra green overlooking center city philadelphia which is an amazing uh, park built on top of a parking garage uh sitting it's like at an the, acre and a half or something like yeah, that yeah i mean they're at the the foothills of the innovation neighborhood that drexel is is proposing but right at the the athletic uh, corner of the University Penn campus. So that's the real story right now is what we're seeing on the west side of the Schuylkill come up because that never traditionally was a big office area, uh, no. commercial area. It was, now actually our, it was actually our back office area where banks and law firms would put files, file rooms, check processing, you know, kind of low-end functioning to be kind of cl somewhat close to Philadelphia. Uh, now, I think we can legitimately say that, you know, what's now the easterly side of University City is now the westerly side of the CBD. Yeah. And you know, we used to always end at the river. <clears throat> that's not, not the case anymore. And that's a, such an interesting thing to see develop because not only is Penn and Drexel drastically improving their infrastructure and building new buildings like the Science Center out there on, on Market Street uh, towards 40th and Market that area is just blossoming and then you've got this area right along and then being right near 30th street station seems like a really strategic place to put office space i think so and i think to put a combination of different types of spaces different retail some additional residential um you know it's it you know it is a great location and it it has available land and buildings that can be repurposed down there to to do that um you know one of the problems we have in center city right now is that we're, we're kind of full up i mean there's still a couple of areas down on east market that you still potentially could see a you know high rise but those are getting bought combined. up aren't they right now but i mean the, east market's starting to emerge now with some serious development yeah i mean you know it's questionably when they call it east market or or, or midtown village uh, as a as a, a rebranding of that of that area but but it's the hottest area in the in the city right now really so it's uh so what's driving the trend now what's really driving What's bringing the demand up for for like places like FMC Tower and these kind of places that can charge the highest rents in the history of Philadelphia? And are we seeing new companies come in? Are we seeing like entrepreneurs starting companies here? What are you seeing from an, from a leasing perspective? Well, I think it's a combination of that, but I also think it's a combination of how the space is being fit out, how it's being designed. I mean. When I started in the business uh, many moon ago, it would be 200 square feet per person, and and 80% of the people would have a private office. Then in the in the 1990s, we went through what we called workplace of the future, where people left their offices and went to eight by ten cubes, some higher, some lower. Then they became eight by eight cubes. Then they became six by eight cubes. <laughs> the cubicle farm was born. And, and, and now we're in an age of co-working and collaborative workspaces. Um, millennials and, and, and others like to have that, that flexibility of working out of their home, working out of their clients, working out of a co-working site where bringing their own device, they can plop down at a desk, have internet, have free coffee, have beer, have collaboration, energy, and activity. And the average per square foot per person in these collaborative spaces is, is below 50 square feet per person. Um, and so, you know, the affordability now is there. Mm. But even if somebody, even if a company, you know, they look at the rent and they say, oh, we're going to pay 40 or $50 a square foot. But, you know, we're getting four times the amount of people in the space. Wow. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of like hybrid cars and gasoline. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, when gas prices weren't coming down, you know, uh, the hybrids were, were allowing for gas economy. And uh, same thing here for space economy, uh, the per square foot per person rate that you have uh, does that. And it becomes dynamic, uh, a dynamic workplace that candidly uh younger people won't like but but also baby boomers like baby boomers love to come in and see people bustling around and and you know having fun and giving advice and 
So I, I, I think in the long run, we're going to see a repurposing of, uh, at least as we're told by Harvard Business School, we could be seeing a repurposing of 30, 40, 50 percent of our office space over the next 20 years into common area, co-working, uh, uh, combined uh, uh, residential, retail, and office neighborhoods, vertical neighborhoods, as they call them. Yeah, I mean, Comcast, the new Comcast tower that's going in mm-hmm. is, uh, what are we calling that, by the way? Is it- Comcast 2 or? Comcast Innovation Tower. Innovation Tower, okay. And if you look at the floor plans for that, and if you look at some of the renderings, there's a lot of open space built into that design. Um, like entire floors where it's just wide open and no real designated, like closed in office space. Right, and it's and it's intended for people to go and collaborate and meet and uh, uh you know, and, and like I said, that seems to be part of the workplace of the future. You know, the, the traditionalists still are concerned about security and things like that. But uh, but for the most part, you know, working is no longer just a matter of You've got of your laptop, and wherever your laptop is, that's where your office is. That's right. And it's more important that that office be located in an area that where you want to be. Yep. Um, I know a number of people have looked out towards some of the neighborhoods in Philly, and, and there are some small and successful co-working opportunities that will continue to grow. But we're still seeing a demand that people want to work in Center City. Yep. They want to work off of Walnut Street. They want to work off of Market Street. And it's, it's, it's part of you know, the, uh, uh, the urban environment yep. to, to be able to do It's that. a lifestyle thing, really, is, is yeah. what it comes down to. And that's what I'm seeing on the residential side is – Folks like offices are moving down into Center City. A lot of like tech startup companies, folks that not necessarily bring in their headquarters here, but are bringing quote unquote satellite offices to start giving folks that live down here a place to go. But then what happens is, and this is from the residential side, I'm seeing that people are then moving down and living along the L or where there's public transit along the Broad Street line, going to like places like Fishtown, where you can live in Fishtown, own a home, get on the L in the morning and be in Center City in five to 10 minutes. No problem. And so it becomes a lifestyle thing where you don't even need a car anymore or you need a lot less of a car uh, to, to live every day. And there's, you can bike and with the emergence of the bike share program. So it's all kind of collaborating and building into this larger narrative of Philadelphia as a live, work, play environment. That's right. And, 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 you know, the worker slash resident in these areas can kind of move around very ubiquitously. You know, if, if they've got to be out somewhere, you know, in West Philly, out in University City area, they can pop into co-working out there. They can spend a day, you know, when you say they bring their laptop, they don't bring their laptop, they bring their pad, yeah. you know? And so they're, they're kind of, you know, they can kind of move around. Like you said, they can work out of the coffee shop. They can work out of the, uh, uh, any, any some parts of the, the city where there's free wireless being provided. Um, and interestingly enough, one of the other trends that I'm seeing, I don't know if you're seeing this as well, but and why I think co-working is becoming a more and more part of the conversation at a at a at a much larger level than it ever was years ago, is that um, because of our eds and meds that are attracted to Philadelphia, people coming here for grad school, people coming here for med school, um, doing their uh, internships, and you know, working at hospitals. That you can't really just do anywhere. You need to be around the hospitals and these these centers of education, these universities to do that. But what's happening is when people come to do that, they're bringing their spouses and significant mm-hmm. others. And a lot of times when they're coming, they're mobile, meaning that they're working remotely and virtually for a company, keeping their jobs mm-hmm. and just kind of working where they can here, which is part of the emergence of the co-working scene that we're seeing, right? No, I, I think very much so. And I think it, you know, it, it, and that's what bodes, I think, very well for the city of Philadelphia. All forms of real estate. I think we've become very livable, very workable. You know, the, the proximity to the eds and meds and to opportunities. Yet you can you can work for a New York firm and, you know, instead of having to go to New York every day, you go one day a week. I mean, and you're equally. You jump as, on Amtrak. You're there in an hour, and 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 you're you're living this different and better lifestyle, you know, or a supposedly better lifestyle. I think New Yorkers might say that's different, but <laughs> um, but no, I think I think that's a big part. I think the co-working environment, and I think that um, you know we're seeing more 
companies look at East Coast, West Coast. Uh, I think uh, social media has has played a huge part in people connecting and how they connect. Mm-hmm. And you know the the you know technology is enabling all of this. So whether it's Uber technology to get cars, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or you know just any kind of you know cell based application, or in the real estate world, you know the ability to access Trulio or or uh, uh, Realtor.com or Zillow. Um, to get core real estate information is, you know, is terrific. They can actually find out more about that city and do it in a in a, uh, a way where they don't necessarily have to even talk to somebody initially. Right. But then once they find the information they're looking for, then they feel they can come and act on that and buy a house, rent an apartment, move into the area. Mm, interesting. It's I, – I, I wonder – how does Philly take advantage of these trends that we're seeing? These, I mean, these are emerging trends as we speak. These are things that are happening right now. How does Philly better position itself to attract more people that, like, in that situation? You want the politically correct answer? I want your honest answer, Ed. <laughs> My honest answer is you've got to change the form of city government away from city uh, home rule charter. Okay. You can no longer have the city council people basically uh, – extorting projects and delaying projects if the whole city wants to take advantage of 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 the boom and this is northeast philly northwest philly southwest philly you're going to have to have some ability for 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 real estate developers for business owners for business developers to be able to go into parts of the city and be able to 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 get things approved uh permits yeah you know support Economic development support, etc. It's amazing how much this theme comes up in almost every one of our podcasts, where it's the it's the red tape that's hindering so much it's of the killer. progress that could happen. And and while we want to make sure that everyone's developing and building in a very uh, in a way that benefits everyone, uh, I mean, there's so many times when it just becomes down to you, who you know and who you paid, you know, you gave money to in the last election cycle that prohibiting us from moving forward in a lot of ways in, in a lot of ways in a lot of ways that puts us behind the chicago's and the new york's of the world that have kind of cleaned up their shops a little bit and uh, uh you know but it's it's improving in philadelphia mayor nutter ran a very clean uh administration he it was just, a step in the right direction it was for a sure. step in the right direction i believe mayor kenny has the same you know intense so yeah, and I think there's an awareness, too. And I think that with technology and information the way it is now, there's a lot more transparency there. So a lot, there's a lot of dark corners that are getting light for the first time that we're seeing. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see that. I know there's a lot of will to, to improve it. The question is, when push comes to shove, how far are we willing to go to improve things? And, and, I, and I hope so for the future of Philadelphia. So that, that brings us to our next point is where is the opportunity now in Philly? Where is the next step? What are you seeing as the place that's developing that a lot of things are going right for the city of Philadelphia? Well, I think areas that are going to really, really grow and, and create really good, diverse neighborhoods in the city. Bella Vista, I think, is high on the list. Brewery Town, I, I, it's funny is that I, I've been pitching Brewery Town for five years, and now it's almost like, you know, uber chic yeah. to be in Brewery Town. Yeah. But it's still affordable. It still has a lot of affordability. And then as you move north of Brewery Town into Strawberry Mansion, some, some amazing houses, uh, you know, moving into North Philadelphia. And, you know, same thing can be said for what they now call Old Kensington. Yep. You know, I don't know where, the, where Fishtown ends, New Kensington. My, my tip of the week is buy an Old Kensington. I think uh, Old Kensington is the, the best deal in the city right now because it's it's essentially ex- the extension of northern liberties and fishtown right. but it doesn't have that it's not buzzy yet like there's not all these like reports on old kensington and everything it's going to come because there's putting they're putting restaurants left and right there they're developing left and right there beautiful houses they're putting in new construction but you're also seeing jobs going there they just made an announcement that they're putting in a, a tech hub in Ken- old yeah. kensington a large office complex for that they're just some amazing rehabs going on to old factories. You've got a uh, great, and, and I keep going back to restaurants, follow the restaurants. I had, um, 
I had uh, um, William Reed on this program not too long ago, and we talked about Standard Tap and what that did to establish Northern Liberties, and then Johnny Brenda's with Fishtown, mm-hmm. and how you could basically follow the restaurants, the innovative restaurants, and the, their popularity, and then essentially, as soon as they establish themselves, draw a circle around that, and that's where the real estate development happened within five years. Yeah. yeah and that's absolutely. what we're continuing to see. And even so, when a couple commercial deals that I've done when I'm working with some tech companies that have moved to the city, time and time again, when you ask their employees where they want to be, the number one concern that they have is great places to eat nearby so that when they go for lunch or they're staying for dinner and staying in the office late, they have somewhere close by that they can do and having a diversity of options. Food literally came down to restaurants and food was the number yeah. one priority. So seeing that happen and also the 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 amazing story that Philly has with the restaurant scene here, which is, I think, on par with anything else in the country going on right now. It's really interesting to see that play out. And you can almost you can almost predict where it's going based on those that restaurant development, yeah, both from no, an I office agree. perspective and from a residential perspective. No, I, I agree 100 percent. And, you know, other amenities and opportunities, uh, you know, around these neighborhoods are, you know, again, I, I, I see parts of Germantown Avenue starting to redevelop through Mount Airy running all the way down to Germantown. I mean, this is, in my mind, akin to seeing the rebirth of Camden. Yeah. You know, uh, there are areas that I just didn't, Historically didn't necessarily, repressed. that have been depressed for 30 years and, and now are like becoming cool, hip places, but it's just not the restaurants, but it's little bodegas on the corner that are cool, uh, art galleries, you know, just a, a confluence of different businesses that are off of the streetscape that, uh, you know, make it interesting to live in the neighborhoods of Philadelphia again. Yep. And I, you work a lot with, with First Base, which is your company that represents, helps companies come in on the buyer side when they're setting up to do leases. Do you have any pointers for companies that are looking to lease in Philadelphia? What would you tell them to look for? What are some pointers before they jump in and sign anything? What would you recommend to them? Besides working with you, of course. Right. Well, the, the, now the, the one thing I would, would look is look at the demographic of where, what people you want, where do you believe they're going to live? Um, you know, I think that, you know, being somewhere and being positioned somewhere off of the Market Frankfurt L is a tremendous location, yep. whether you want to choose all the way up in Fishtown or you want to you want to go out, you know, uh, just just west of University City. I think I think the ability to have that uh, transit uh, transit opportunity is is really important. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is, is to, you know, take. Take a look at the variety of smaller boutique spaces that are out there. Um, you know, we're no longer bound by having people go to A and B class office buildings. Right. It's actually really fun to put people in a, a C or D or, or some kind of a repurposed, you know, uh, piece of real estate where they can build out really cool space. Yep. People like coming you know, polished granite floors, they got couches, they've got, you know, it, 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 you know, just take away the idea of, of, of traditional office space. And guess what? Even regular companies want to see that happen today. Yeah. Uh, Basically, if you have Wi-Fi, you're pretty much good. You're you're pretty much good. You want Wi-Fi, comfortability, Good restaurants nearby. Free food, coffee. Food options. <laughs> Good coffee. You know. Yeah, I mean, the spaces are unbelievable. Like, uh, I checked out Blue Cadet's offices. They're really cool. They're a great startup, tech startup here in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm thinking about what La Colombe did with their headquarters in Fishtown. I mean, people come from all over. Mm-hmm. Like, from like across, like they come from New Jersey to go to La Colombe on weekends to check it out. Um, I mean, there's countless stories. And then what's going on in the Naval Yard is unbelievable. Um, Revzilla has their headquarters down there. They're exploding. They're growing really well. And then you see um, what Urban Outfitters has down there. Mm-hmm. Give me a little bit of insight on what's going on in the Navy Yard and where's this limit there? Where's the where's the cap? Is that going to just keep growing? Well, there 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 is the, the, well there is a cap. <clears throat> there's two, there's actually two caps. Um, the first cap is that you know. They're continuing to build out office space. Liberty is just finishing leasing of their, one of their first speculative buildings there. Most of the building has been built to suit down there. Urban came down and bought those older buildings and did an incredible job Gorgeous. renovating them. But there's still, the Navy has a 
deed restriction preventing residential mm. uh, occupancy or residential development at the base. Mm. <clears throat> Supposedly, uh, PIDC is close to negotiations wow. with them to <clears throat> in areas that are environmentally clean to be able to convert some of those old industrial properties to loft apartments, build some high-rise I bet you they would sell really fast. I think they would sell like hotcakes. And not only would they sell, but then you'd get the restaurants, then you'd get the, the, the cool stores. The uh, uh, Large parts of that area are still very much like undeveloped, right? Oh, it's I mean, huge. Yeah, the I whole, was down there the whole with airfield my, part. Is, yeah, I was down there. I mean, it's like wild down there. There's yeah. like deer herds and stuff. I was down there with my wife and we were walking around on a weekend and there was a herd of like 30 deer that were running around. And we saw two foxes and a, and some turkeys, all right down there, right in the, like in Philadelphia. It's crazy what like that. that it's like a it's still wild down there. Yeah, I mean they still have you know several hundred acres of of prime developable <clears throat> land down there to do to uh, to to do that for the Navy base. They they do need to solve the connectivity problem between Patterson Avenue and yeah. and they they do have renderings showing an expansion of the Broad Street, the Broad line. Street line that will go down and loop somehow down in there, which would amazing. help a lot. Right now, it's more of a drive destination, and it and it's a little. Little, little awkward. Um, their, their other thing that they have to do is they, they need to develop more energy sources down there. Um, they're limited by the substation supplying energy into uh, various parts of, of the Navy base. Really? And uh, PIDC actually is the utility down there and runs the distribution of all this. And um, but they're, you know, they're undertaking doing things like putting in some and discussing putting in some solar energy at the Revzilla building. There's going to be a 370 kW system placed on the roof of that building. Wow. Um, that'll feed into the grid. It, it's not just for Revzilla, but uh, <clears throat> there's a number of other projects being put online. Uh, but uh, there, you know, there really is a need to kind of develop almost an independent in, uh, energy infrastructure and supply uh, route down there, and preferably, you know, the cleaner the better. Uh, Absolutely. You know, down at that corner, they, they could put they could put windmills down in the the corners of some of those areas you got a nice wind characteristic yeah. right at the right at the bend of the two rivers and what's really interesting too is that at the same time that we're seeing all this like office space startups technology companies even pharmaceutical companies gsk has stuff down there mm -hmm. um, urban retail uh you're also seeing the shipyard come back yeah in a big way. I mean, they're busy down there. Navy, the Navy still has a significant presence there. Uh, the shipyard still has a, a, a significant presence. And you have the container port being built on the north side of Lake Island there. So that's going to hold, have the super ships come in. Wow. And so, I mean, there's a lot of vibrancy down there. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a neighborhood unto itself in 20 years. Yeah. Um, the first thing is, is to get that deed restriction removed by the Navy and start to allow some, you know, high rise. We're going to have to get someone uh, in here to uh, talk to him about the specifics of what's going on down there. Cause it's, it seems like it has its own story going on down there. It's a whole nother, it's almost like a sub, sub, sub world of Philadelphia. Well, it's funny is that <clears throat> I go back, uh, 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 I've been doing some work down there for them in the solar advisory area and uh uh by go back to the 30s 40s and 50s and my grandfather who is my namesake was the uh supervisor of civilian employment for the navy base back when they hired 60,000 civilian employees down there wow and uh he was widely considered along with my grandmother among the more powerful people in the city of Philadelphia because a lot of the patronage jobs would be directed down to the Navy base back in the gotcha in the day, but uh, interesting. Uh, well, it's great so to see it come it's... back alive and what's going on down there, and also what's it's a great physical piece of real estate. It's great, yeah, yeah and and what it and I'd love to see it connect into the into the larger grid too, and getting that subway extension would be amazing. I know that it's pretty cost prohibitive. Some of the numbers I've seen is like four hundred million to get it extended a quarter of a mile or something like that, but. It's not easy to extend a subway. But but at least that has some viability to it. Yeah. 
and they could take it out and they could bring it up onto Broad Street like an elevated pop back out. Oh, yeah, it's sort of like how and, Market and, Frankfurt line does it. Yeah, and, and kind of cross over, and it's not prohibitive. I, I will say that the one thing I'm not particularly in favor of is, is, is extending the train line to King of Prussia. Oh, really? That they talked about. I, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out who's commuting to where and how. Yeah. I mean— over 40 years of suburbanization, people have figured out ways to get to train stations to get into Philly. Yeah. Uh, if this is intended to create some improved connection ki- or reverse commute, the fact is, is that I don't know where you're, you know, I don't know. It's not like coming into an urban core where you have 60 million square feet of office space. Right. You got 500,000 feet here, then you got to go half a mile, another 500,000 right. feet. You're never going to have the kind of direct connectivity between office complexes. Uh, Out in the suburbs. I, yeah, I'd rather see them, you know, uh, uh, you know, create various forms of other clean transportation between the existing train stations and nodes of, uh, of, of business parks. On that note, I think uh, I think that the, the, this has been really informative and helps me understand from a residential that this is all part and parcel and part of one economic environment and really paying attention to where those office spaces are coming in and how offices are being built for where people are going to move next. And it's really important to, to stay on top of that, and especially for my audience and the folks listening, uh, as they're investing in properties or they're looking to buy, thinking about where those next office spaces are going to go. And um, I really appreciate your insight, Ed. If there is there any projects or anything you want to plug real quick before we finish? Um, just the Benjamin's Desk co-working opportunities at 17th and Walnut, at 7th and, and Walnut at the Curtis Center. And uh, stay tuned for a couple of new locations in uh, University City and Old City. Uh, or in uh, Northern Liberties uh, in the near future. Very cool, very cool. And of course, if you have any, if you're part of a, a company that's looking for office space in Philadelphia, highly recommend Ed. He's very knowledgeable. He does a great job. No one who knows more about this city and, and the leasing history here to help you uh, get the best possible space you can. Thanks again, Ed. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Dave. Phil Estate, the Philadelphia Real Estate Podcast, is brought to you by Magnum Opus Federal Corporation. Magnum Opus Mortgage Brokers are top-tier mortgage experts who look at your entire financial picture and pair your unique situation with a customized mortgage solution. When you need the most competitive rates with uncompromising customer service, look to Magnum Opus Federal Corporation.